I'd like to, in light of Mother's Day, I'd like to begin the message this morning by asking those of you who have been raised in a Christian home and who have gone on to become believers as well as followers, disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, to tell us in a sentence or two something your mother did or your grandmother which contributed to your believing in Jesus Christ and to your following him in your life and your even in the church. So let me just open it up here and let a few of you just stand up and share that with us. Tell us something that, uh, that your mom did or your grandmother that impacted your life in a significant way as far as following the Lord Jesus Christ. Who'd like to be first? Okay, over here, Bill. Okay. To Sunday school and took him to a Billy Graham crusade. Glenn. Without any kind of reservation, she loved loved you, and that's the way I feel too. You know that mom loved me in spite of how bad I might be. <laughs> Not that Glenn was bad. <laughs> okay, over here, Debbie. Speak up a little bit. It's a wonderful thought, hearing what a grandmother's impact has been. Okay, over here, Pat. Great. Thank you. Okay, Gary. That's great. Amen. Anyone else? Okay, Mark. That's wonderful. Great testimony. Thank you, Mark. And you've shared that with me impromptu many times privately. Okay, Bob. Did, she realized I came in 
<laughs> That's great. Okay, back here, Ray. Anyone else? One more over here. Leela. That's great. You know, um, it's important for us to remember that even if we're raised in a, you know, if it's not a Bible church home, but it's a home where God is honored, the Word of God is honored, where Jesus is honored, that can have an enormous impact. And we ought to be thankful for, for children that are raised with, with even a basic understanding of those things. And that's so, so precious. And uh, so thank you for those uh, testimonies. And Okay. Okay, who? Oh, Deary. I didn't see. Whoa, I get in big trouble here. You didn't get your hand up, Deary. I didn't see it. Her mom was a special woman. A mom that takes a, a son or a daughter to church, teaches us to respect God's word, who reads us Bible stories, prays with us, prays for us personally, talks freely about spiritual things, explains the Bible. Mom and I, I would add Dad here, these are the kind of things that help pass along the faith to our children. Many of these things are like seeds, which we as parents sow in their lives, and as a result, not only do our children end up believing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior unto eternal life, but they also want to follow Him and serve Him with their lives. And so that is very, very precious. However, this morning I want to talk about two things that are absolutely essential if moms 
and grandmothers and, I will add, dads and grandfathers want to play a key role in passing the faith along to their own children. Two seeds that are vital in an effective Christian home. And if you have your Bible this morning, and there are some in the pew if you uh, forgot to bring yours, it's Second uh, Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. Now let me give you a little background about the book of Timothy and Second Timothy in particular. Timothy was a young man, a developing but somewhat fearful Christian leader that the Apostle Paul was mentoring in the ministry. And this second letter of Timothy, the great Apostle Paul, in what may be his most personal letter after the letter to Philemon, it was a letter primarily of encouragement, encouraging Timothy onward in ministry. And he begins the letter by telling Timothy how he thanked God as he constantly remembered him in his prayers. And as he remembered him, praying that he might be all that God wanted him to be as a servant minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he could not forget one very important thing that should have great impact on his life. And we pick up his words in verse 3 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What Paul could not forget was the potential of the seed of a genuine faith. A seed not sown by Paul, but sown by Timothy's grandmother and mother. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And from their example, it seems that the first and most important seed, a mother and grandmother, and we could add father and grandfather, can sow in the life of a child, a son or a daughter, is the seed of a genuine faith. Now, I mentioned grandparents, and I'm, I think it's in, incredibly important that Paul had mentioned grandparents because so often, what do we hear about grandparents and their children? We take the children as grandparents, and our job is to spoil them, we're told, in our culture, and then we hand them back to the parents. Well, that isn't exactly the way God sees it. Our job is not to spoil them, but to assist the parents, our children, who are raising our grandchildren, to sow the seeds in their life that will bring forth the fruit of a vibrant, obedient Christian life. And the first seed that we need to sow is the seed of a genuine faith. And, of course, the key word here is the word genuine. And the word genuine is the word unhypocritical. Now, to be hypocritical 
means to act beneath a disguise, to pretend to be something on the outside that is not real on the inside. In this case, Paul is speaking about faith that is the real deal. Not a put on, not an act, with the corresponding reality of something that is inside of us, that's part of the core of our being. In other words, there's a temptation in our life, particularly when we're raising children. And I think this is particularly a problem among baby boomers, who were raised in some cases godly homes, in other cases homes that were religious, but somehow it didn't all get translated, and the problems have come about, and there's still that desire in their life to have the white picket fence around the home. And by that I mean the trappings of spirituality. Take the kids to church and Sunday school when they're younger. You know, pray before a big meal that you have with the whole family. And, and do those things that sort of give a religious touch to the home. But the problem is the children are very intuitive. And they can see right into the life of a parent whether it be a mom or a dad or a grandmother or grandfather, and they can see that this is not real. It's good, but it's not the real deal. This isn't where they are. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Timothy was a man who possessed the genuine faith. The real Timothy, a faith that existed on the inside and not only on the outside of his person. It is a faith that can stir up, the word stir up here that Paul uses, it can stir up or fan into a flame, literally, the gift that God had given him, which we read on in the book of Timothy, is the gift of teaching. So this gift of a genuine, or this genuine faith can stir up that gift. Furthermore, he says, it was a faith that could fortify his human spirit for the work of the ministry. That was what 6 and verses 6 and 7 were all about. I mean, it's tough in ministry. And Timothy was not a, a very strong person naturally. And yet he had a genuine faith. And Paul's saying that genuine faith can fortify your spirit and help you to move forward in the work of the ministry. Throughout the Bible, faith, that is genuine faith, is like a seed that can fan the flames of a desire to please God, to step out for God, and to make full use of our God-given potential. Jesus said this when he said, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. In California, we only need about 60 huge caterpillars and we can move the mountain. But in reality, what Jesus was teaching was something far more significant than a physical mountain. He was talking about the mountain of resistance and discouragement that can weigh down um, any one of us at any time in our life. And his point is, what counts is not the size of your faith. What counts is the reality of faith. Trusting God. Are we believing him when he speaks and makes promises to us? Where does faith, genuine, uncritical faith, come from? Now, some today claim that faith is a gift from God. 
that we're born without any capacity to believe and that God gives us this faith that man has this uh, emptiness and unable to believe God for anything. Such thinking, I think, does great damage to the teaching about faith in the Bible. The Bible teaches us that all people have the capacity to believe just as they have the capacity to think, just as they have the capacity to feel, just as they have the capacity to make a decision. The question is what they do with that capacity. Are they thinking the kind of thoughts that would please God? Or are they thinking the kind of thoughts that reflect the world? Likewise, all believers have the capacity to go on in their Christian life, trusting God and believing in His Word. The question is not whether we have the capacity or ability to believe. We do. But whether we will believe. And the Bible teaches that the willing to trust in God and believe in His promises is most often provoked or prompted by the genuine faith, the unhypocritical faith, of others whom God has brought into our life, people who have a genuine faith that controls the way they think and live. The seed that God often uses to promote faith in our human heart is the genuine faith of others whom He has brought into our life and experience. People who clearly attest to the reality of a genuine faith in God and His Word. And you may be thinking, where is he going with this? Think of the great passage of faith. What is that? Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians, Christians, who were, not, who were lacking in faith. Not in the sense that they did not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They clearly did. They had eternal life. But they were failing to trust in God and in His promises as they faced the trials of life. And the trials were severe for Christians who were also Jewish in a Jewish culture. And so in chapter 11 the author of the book of Hebrews brings them face to face with people from their own history, their own Jewish history, who possessed the real deal, the genuine faith he was talking about and which they needed in God and in His promises if they were going to overcome the trials of life. And so he says, By faith Noah prepared an ark. By faith Abraham sojourned in the land of promises in a foreign country living in tents. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Moses forsook the places of Egypt and identified with his people. By faith, Rahab, Barak, Samuel, and David. And then the concludes, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded, he's speaking to Christians, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses to the reality of faith, let us, by genuine faith, run with patient endurance the race that is set before us and endure the trials. Endure the troubles. My point is, God uses people. Not people who tell us to believe, but people who show us what it means to believe. It is the example of others that God uses to sow faith in our hearts so that we will be moved to make full use of our gifts and opportunities as believers. This is why being involved in a church and in a fellowship with other Christians is so important. 
That's why he told the Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews that they were not to forsake the assembling of themselves together as was the manner of some, but to encourage one another. And so much the more as they see the day approaching, the day of the Lord's return. In other words, that's why we come to church, to encourage, to be around people of faith, people who have a genuine faith, who have the real deal. And when we're together, it's like one seed contributing into a life and in flip side, the other person's faith acting as a seed contributing to another person's life. However, potentially, the most effective Christian example many of us will ever know, like Timothy, is the example of a godly mother and grandmother. And we could add father and grandfather. Now, I don't want to depreciate dads and granddads, but the first and most influential person in the life of any child we all know is mom. The people God used to promote faith in Timothy's life were a godly mother and a godly grandmother. A grandmother named Lois and a mother named Eunice. And when Timothy was growing up, he listened and he watched his grandmother and his mother. And do you know what he saw? He didn't see two perfect people. But he did see two people who really believed. Who really believed. Now his father, who we know was a Gentile, a Greek, probably was not a believer. That's not for certain. But he's not mentioned. You see, our kids see right through us as parents. They see what it is that makes us tick, as we say in our culture. It's not that they're looking for perfect parents. It's they are looking for the bottom line in our lives. Is it faith in God and in his word? Or is it faith in me or my money or my education or my accomplishments. Tell me, if you were a child, what would you think was the bottom line in your parents' life if you heard your father praying thoughtfully to God? You stumbled into the room and you heard him praying thoughtfully to God. Or if you saw your mother reading her Bible and preparing a Sunday school lesson or Bible study. I'll tell you what you would probably think. You'd say, you know, Mom and Dad really believe this. They really believe this. What kind of seed would be planted in the heart of a child who experiences his parents talking as naturally about spiritual matters as they talk about current events or current circumstances? I'll tell you what they'd think. They'd say, our parents believe this is real. On the other hand, what kind of impact would it have on a child's heart if parents never let their child miss a day of school except for serious sickness, but regularly miss Sunday school in church for the most feeble of reasons? I'll tell you what your child would think. He'd say, it's not that real to them. It's the picket fence. What would you think if your parents demanded excellence in math and science but never bothered 
to even ask you what you studied in Sunday school this morning. We're totally disinterested in what you learn in church. I'll tell you what you'd think. You'd think math and science is what's important to them. That's the real deal. That's where their faith is. It's in math and science and technology. It's in the Bible. It's not in Sunday school. What would you think if your parents broke their neck running you around all over town to soccer, gymnastics, volleyball, birthday parties, piano lessons, and the list goes on and on, and everyone knows the list is enormous today, but complain that they are just too busy and you, my son or daughter, are too busy for Sunday school or Awana or youth group or church or a retreat, or whatever. On the other hand, what kind of seeds are being planted in our children's life when they watch us work hard for the Lord Jesus Christ in ministry in, the in which we receive no pay, little praise, and often a lot of stress? They probably think they really believe this. I want to thank the mothers and fathers and the grandmothers and the grandfathers who do help to sow the seed of genuine faith in the life of a child. And as far as their spiritual potential, I'm talking about the spiritual potential of a child is concerned, there is no greater gift that you can give your child than the gift of a genuine faith. There is another seed parents, especially moms and grandmothers, can help sow in the lives of their children. The seed, a seed that will result in nourishment for the life of faith. And that is the seed of God's Word. Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 15. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 1, But know this, Timothy, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, self-control, brutal, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form, a semblance of godliness, but having denied its power. From such certain people turn away. Verse 13, or but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, like increasing waves upon the sea, getting bigger and bigger as a storm moves, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the question Paul wanted to ask Timothy and that we need to see here is, how can a young Christian minister like Timothy, who is prone to quit, stand in the midst of such unbelief without to keep him going when the world seems to be collapsing about him. Verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Continue, literally abide. The same word is used in John 15 where Jesus said, if you abide... 
me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. The idea of abiding is the idea of drawing the building blocks, the nutrients, the, the sustenance for life. And he's saying that the thing that we're drawing from here are the things. Clearly, as you continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, the things. Clearly, in Second Timothy, this phrase refers to the apostles' teaching. What we would call today the New Testament. But in that day, Timothy... Uh, didn't have a hardbound copy of the New Testament in his vest pocket that he carried along for uh, a good luck charm. But what he did have is he was taught by Paul and by the apostles teaching that we're familiar with in our New Testament. But he was taught it in such a way that it was taught and explained and assured his own heart that it was true because of who he received it from, particularly the Apostle Paul. These are living things, we're told. The things the apostles were teaching, which Timothy has learned and been assured of and convinced of, knowing that Paul was an apostle, and therefore that gave authority to what was being taught. But this was not the only teaching Timothy was drawing sustenance from for his life of faith. Notice the next verse. And, verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. From childhood, he's going back to who? He's going back to Lois, his grandmother, Eunice, his, his mother. And he's saying, from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, literally the sacred letters referring to the Old Testament. You were intimately involved with them. You knew not only what they said, but you knew why they said it. And you were convinced they could be trusted and true because of whom you got them from, your parents, your grandmother and your mother who truly believed and you know they had a genuine faith. And you were assured of them. And he says these holy scriptures, these, these letters are able to make you wise for salvation. Now the salvation here is not salvation from hell. The context clearly shows that. And as most of you know, the word can be used in a number of ways in the scripture. And here it's being used in the widest sense possible for a Christian, and that is in the sense that we're encouraged, we're being saved from a life of waste, if you will, unto a life of productivity in the eyes of God. And so Timothy, or Paul is saying here to Timothy that these scriptures that you've learned from your grandmother and your mother at a young age, they're able to give you the wisdom that you need in order to be able to live the kind of life that God will look upon and say one day, well done, faithful servant. The kind of life that is full of potential and reward and opportunity when it's all said and done. This is all borne out even more completely in the next two verses, which we're all very familiar with, where it says, all Scripture, he, he just burst into praise, all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, it's all inspired or given by inspiration or God-breathed. And therefore is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And other saying, Timothy, continue drawing from God's word the teaching, the reproof, the correction, and the instruction that you may be complete and equipped for every good work that God would have you to do. 
This is salvation. This is victory. James said the same. James said the same thing when he wrote in James 1.21, Receive with meekness the implanted word, the word that's been sown in your hearts. Allow it to put down its because it's able to save your souls, your lives. The word soul means physical life. Like the parable of the seed and the parable of the sower, pardon me, the seed and the parable of the sower, when God's word is received into a life, it is like, and when that, that soil is good soil, ready to receive God's word, then that life will come forth and go on to be very productive for the Lord Jesus Christ. For Timothy, it was a process which began when he was just a child, in childhood. The seed of God's word sown by a godly grandmother and a godly mother, Lois and Eunice, who genuinely believed and who believed that the, from the bottom of their hearts in these things. And therefore, they took the time and put forth the effort not only to teach Timothy what the Bible said, but they also explained what it meant. And they assured him that it was true and that he could build his life upon these things. Friends, all of this says that there are two things that are absolutely essential if we as mothers and grandmothers and, yes, fathers and grandfathers want to have a key role in the spiritual development of our children. And it's not surrounding our house with the white picket fence. If we want to pass along our faith to our children from our our faith from ourselves to them. So our God becomes their God. We need to show them our faith, number one. And number two, we need to teach them His Word. Show them your faith and teach them His Word. Those are two things you can't avoid if you hope that you can have an impact on passing along the faith to your children. Simple. Yet how far removed from what parents are passing on to their children today. I don't know if you noticed today in the front page of the paper, very nice article about five generations of mothers that, uh, from one family that we're meeting up in our area in Orange County. The oldest great-great-grandmother was 97 years old and the youngest daughter was... And uh, they talked about what they learned from each other and what they want their children to learn from them. And what they said was the kind of thing you would expect, nice things and very pleasant. They wanted to teach their children how to be liked and how to be happy. They want to teach them how to treat a husband, a man, so that he felt important. They wanted to teach them the importance of a positive outlook on life and of caring for children that they would have. And they wanted to teach them to do nice things to other people that would have great benefit. And so I thought, well, that's very nice. But none of those things will help. As important as those are in our culture, and they would create people who would probably be great neighbors. But it won't pass on the faith, friends. It won't pass on the faith. The only thing that's going to pass on the faith is if we show them a genuine faith and we teach them His Word, which is the heart of our faith. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, 
We pray that you would teach us things that you would want us to, to learn here and that we would take away these principles, two principles that seem so clearly developed in your word. The importance of teaching our children what it means to, to believe and to teach them your word. I pray that mothers and grandmothers, fathers and grandfathers, and those expecting to be mothers and fathers one day, that all of us, Lord, will take to heart what we've heard. And that, Lord, we might be able to truly be people who show our children our faith, a genuine faith, and who teach them your word. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory and the building up of his kingdom. Amen.